In one of your paws, you've got a gold bar worth about eight thou. In the outra, you've got lead that won't get you gelato. Surely a master thief like you can tell the difference. That's one down, Kitty Carlisle. Cool, isn't it? Weight, feel, malleability, they're all but identical. On the periodic chart of elements, they're but one proton apart. Great minds work for centuries to turn worthless into priceless. Alchemy? Alchemy is the business term of the 90s, my man. Minerva read about it in an airline magazine about four years ago. I dumped some lira into research, and shazam! We come across a diary by one of da Vinci's assistants detailing La Machina de Oro, the gold machine for the hoes at home. And the rest is about to become history. Would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Or would you rather be a mule? A mule is an animal with long funny ears Kicks up at anything he hears His back is brawny but his brain is weak He's just plain stupid with a stubborn streak And by the way, if you hate to go to school You may grow up to be a mule Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is your host, James Kent. I'm coming to you on audio and video for this episode. And because I know that people want to be visually entertained as well as audibly, I don't know if that's even a word, entertained. I've got a special guest with me. It's a person you've heard. He's about once a year. He pops on the show around this time. It's like uh, Santa, but in uh, August. Michael McQuilkin. Hello, Michael. Here I am. There he is. <laughs> Just here like Santa. He comes again. I don't know the rest Just of that song. Just like Santa. It's very hot up here, so uh, the Santa thing doesn't. Yeah, right. Uh, you're in the attic because the yeah. chimney was locked, and now you're stuck in the attic in your recording studio. We'll make our own Santa podcast mythology. So, how have you been? It's been about a year, and not much has happened in the world in the year's time. Right? Quiet year. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Very quiet. <laughs> Mostly harmless to reference Douglas Adams. I, yes. I will say that I. I couldn't predict a lot of things, but I did feel a year ago that uh, a year from now, you know, I'd be back to watching a whole summer full of movies and uh, going to the theaters and going to big screen events and all that stuff. And uh, surprise, that that's not happening right. <laughs> anymore. No. Uh, but, you, but you live in uh, Massachusetts and there are some theaters open, so I don't know whether or not you've actually been to any theaters. Well, uh, just... Well, so first of all, sorry for the loss of your theater. That that is a big deal. I, and it was a, a terrible theater, but now it's like I don't have it, and that's but that was the only option. Yeah, that's that's. It was. I'm not. Yeah, that's terrible. We we have things are open here. Uh, AMC by um, uh, Assembly Row. That was a, a sort of a newer one. They've kind of quietly been open the whole time, almost. Well, yeah, because things kind of opened up a year ago in some places. But they, they were trying to, to, to ply people in with like, you know, hey, have a birthday party here, you know, right. people that you trust, you know, in <laughs> yeah. radiation suits or whatever they're suggesting. But I managed to do one movie this year in the theater. Uh, and it was the, it was it was a, a strangely 
you know, joyful because I was reminded again about what I love about these massive sound systems and huge screens because it was an IMAX screen uh, and terrifying uh, experience, um, like equal parts, both. It was Black Widow. I saw Black Widow in the theater. That's the last movie I saw. I talked about it with uh, Teal, but you know, I was like at the time. Now, if it was just a couple weeks later <laughs> when the Delta variant proved that it yeah. could uh, get uh, vaccinated people so easily and also vaccinated people could pass it along that's uh would have changed my seeing black widow in the theater but uh right. so you saw that there was an imax theater in boston open that you were able to see black widow. amc yeah there's the amc assembly row yeah the newest gotcha. one sort of around here oh so they have an imax there yeah yeah is it it's an not- imax or a limax which is this sort of it's imax in name only and it's a big screen but it's not the big screen like in redding limax at the jordan's Limax. <laughs> yeah, yeah the know. Jordan. The it was. I. I remember go, when I went in there. I'm just like, this is not as curved as I thought it was going to be. You know, it, it, it's it's big, but I mean, again, I was so thankful for that. Like the sound system, just every like mm. feeling everything again. Like it, it just uh, so many layers of of composited sounds that you don't pick up unless you have a crazy unless you have no neighbors and a crazy <laughs> good sound system at home. Uh, but just like things whizzing by your ear and just like, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, just left or right adjacent, like it's, it fills the room with just the sound was what impressed, impressed me the most. It was amazing. That's, I mean, that's why for all those big tentpole films, I would always go to the IMAX. I mean, it was a great opportunity to come back to Massachusetts, see family, bring the kids and then, you know, see an IMAX movie. And, uh, you know, so I, I miss that, uh, yeah. cause I think the film that we're going to talk about first um and i think there's a lot to talk about here just in general uh because of the state of cinema that was a film that was originally slated for imax they shot it so that if you were seeing it in imax it would be full frame and a lot of the parts or maybe all the parts and that is uh james gunn's i guess sort of reimagining kind of sort of sequel uh to the suicide squad from a few years back and it's called the suicide squad whoa totally totally different movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, by the way, I think we're discovering that that's a flaw, um, and because there's a lot to talk about in like that, it's you know, wasn't uh, it hasn't been very successful, and that's caught some people by surprise. I, I a lot of it has to do with you know there's like the Delta variant, but I have heard this interesting comment. There are people that are confused, thinking it is just a reboot mm. of the one from a few years ago. Or some people thought it was just they re-released Suicide Squad and not even known it was a new movie. And I know that sounds stupid, but Mm. I think that is a unique problem that I don't think they saw coming when they decided to just name it The Suicide Squad. It would be nice if they highlighted it as something like Suicide Squad, The Rise of Cobra. At least you know it's a different movie. (laughs) Right. Or Suicide Squad, the one that doesn't blow, which I'm, I'm joking, but see- there's a history here between you and I. Um, oh, I didn't know. And it may be just up. one side of where it's like my history with you is that when the original Suicide Squad came out, I just yeah. thought I thought it looked terrible. It was like PG-13 too, which is yeah. shocking because I think it's one of the most violent PG-13 movies I remember seeing. But you wrote a pretty stellar review of it on Facebook, and I read it. 
And I was like, oh, I got to I guess I got to go see this movie now, right? This guy, uh, Mike Wilkin, he's raving about it. I'm right, I'm intrigued. So I go by myself to see it at that theater that is no longer. And I feel like the movie gave me a headache. I was just <laughs> angry by the end of it. I just hated yeah. every second of that movie and I didn't like anything of it. But yet the idea behind it I thought was interesting. The idea, you know, you take a bunch of uh, miscreants, misfits, put them together to, to, you know, create a mission. Like, who doesn't like a mission movie? Right. The strengths of that, I think, were were really... I stand by that there are strengths in the first movie. <laughs> I mean, you can reevaluate after years. You might be like, I don't know what I was thinking back then. Well, but. let's see the air cut first, and then <laughs> we'll go... Oh, this this kind of that cut. That's so crazy. You know, don't you think, though, in a case like that, that if there was a really good cut, but when you have made a movie that's kind of a mess, that's when the studio's like, yeah, you don't it's have It's working, though. I'm already seeing some reviews declaring the first as, as uh, they're talking about it failed as, a, you know, it, it was a critical failure and, and as a result of studio meddling. So they've they've adopted that maybe mythology, but maybe it's true. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I think people are, are, you know, you did see the um, the Schneider cut, right, of uh, Justice yes. League? Yeah, four hours. And, yeah. Uh, I know, can't you believe it? But what did you think of it? I thought it's... Uh, Uh-oh. I don't think I read a Facebook review from if you, you on this. <laughs> if you have a lot... First of all, the original Justice League is a... It's a massive pile of garbage. Um, it is terrible. It is it's terrible. absolutely terrible. It's terrible. It's almost like... Every scene that's set up in that, for, it just feels like it's a, 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 is this a setup for a, like, like an SNL sketch about this exact same scenario? Like every scene is just sort of like, it's so ham handed and there's no nuance to it and everything kind of looks terrible. Just the, even the, you know, the CGI was awful and just uh, uh, any sort of like character arcs are just steamrolled over and then they just get to the end and you don't even care that's just the biggest, that's the biggest thing you can do about, you know, the biggest crime of a movie is that you don't care. I don't care. I didn't see it in the theater. And when I finally sat down to watch it, it, it lost my interest. And I started looking at my phone through the remainder of the film. And I guess that's where, when I finally watched this four hour version, so much of it felt new to me because I, I couldn't even remember. I didn't remember. Justice yeah. League. I didn't remember scenes. There were so, I mean, they're not just for the different, you know, uh, color palettes that they chose and all that. It's just a differently paced and, and intended movie. And I can't stand Zack Snyder. However, <laughs> this may be the best thing he's done, but I agree. Also, <laughs> he he had if you have a long enough runway to a huge tentpole movie that made you know that still made like a billion dollars but everyone hates if you have a long enough roadway like when did the first one come out was it justice league was 2018 i think let's say well we'll call it 2018 right if you give me three years to improve upon what is largely considered a pile of crap i bet you <laughs> i can find the right people to make it a better movie i bet you i bet you i can, I can get a bunch of people in a room uh, do some focus grouping and then find out, you know, how to make that a better movie. Now, I'm not not to say that he didn't have a lot of this because he went through a terrible tragedy while he was filming. Oh, absolutely awful. And again, I don't hate him the person. I just think he's like the new Michael Bay for me, where he just he's he's better than Michael Bay. But but he uh, you, you know you know if you listen to my show <laughs> you know my feelings on Michael Bay. <laughs> I, I don't understand that guy's career. People just throw money and it's like a, he's like the. Uh, um, like if you go into a mall and see a bunch of pennies in the fountain, it's like, 
you know that's not a well that's just a fountain right why would you why would you throw money <laughs> at that um exactly but, but that's 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 that guy for me but the bean counters say they, they use that example and say but you know what people it's are gonna keep money. pennies in. Yep. <laughs> it's stupid yeah but he uh um he's yeah bay's the worst but but uh Snyder, you know, uh, it, I'm glad he got to go back and make something this because he's more capable, I think, than Michael Bay as a, as a, I hesitate to say filmmaker. I'm going to say, I'm going to say loud cinematographer. <laughs> well, the style, I mean, you know, definitely the visual style on display in this uh, Schneider cut, uh, it was seductive and uh, made it very interesting to watch. You know, again, I, th- I think we know that out of the two of us, you are by far the, the greater uh, comic book uh, superhero fan than I am. Yeah. But uh, so anyways, the irony in all of this is that while it was a critical failure, uh, the original Suicide Squad, it did pretty well uh, financially. Yeah. And the new movie, which has been well-received by critics, and I think the people who have watched it pretty much like it, uh, it has obviously, for many reasons, it's a box office failure. And who knows how well it's doing on HBO because they're not really releasing any numbers there. And what do those numbers even mean in, in terms of money? Like, how do they quantify if they've spent... $180 million on a movie and then it shows up on cable uh, or streaming. I, I still don't know how they verify and say it was worth the money. Maybe they're still figuring it out too. Obviously with the, the black widow thing they're you know, they're not, um, there's no clear cut plan. Sometimes they're just pulling triggers and, <laughs> you know, just hoping that things work out for the best. Yeah. The, this new suicide squad, I, I thought it, it, you're right. I think it was, um, it, it wasn't enough, even visually, even the, even in the ads, I saw it, there were so many analogs to the first movie, even visually. I mean, you know, Bloodshot versus... Will, right, whoever Will Smith's character Will was. Smith, uh, yeah, Sure Shot, I don't know. But and, the, people, and people were like, did they replace Will Smith as right. a new character? Yeah, I mean, there's... Largely the same character almost though he's got the daughter he's got the the you know the pot he's a sharpshooter you know um, you know they can't be beat uh he's uh in prison when we start but now you're getting into this is a movie about for real comic book fans and discovering that you know one of the one of the big question marks that i've always had is i think there are a huge base of fans that became fans of marvel entertainment mm-hmm. and that was like you know for the last 10 or 12 years it grew and grew and grew how much of a spillover that is into them diving into the comics and knowing every character and going, oh my God, they've included Javelin in the Suicide Squad movie or something. And that's payoff enough that they show up, yeah. Yeah, and so now you have this rated R. You know, the question I have, because I don't know, it's hard, I don't know whether or not this film is a success or not in terms of audiences coming to it. And I don't know, is it for the reasons we mentioned that people are staying away are they sick of this? Like, because of the pandemic and all these other things, is this sort of maybe dark, maybe sort of it feels like a mean-spirited, violent comic book? Is that not what people want to see these days? Well, maybe. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've long held the belief that... All right, so remember, like, when did the zombie thing start exploding? Like, 12 or 15 years ago, maybe? No, 10 or 12 years ago. Was it 2000? 10 or 11 the walking dead got walking huge dead. and then spin-offs and then movies and then and then zombie 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 even like and yeah, that went across saturated. the board super saturated like even indie films everybody was just saying oh yeah let's embrace this so so that has to be 
a reflection of the culture at the time, right? Because yeah. it's, and zombie movies for me have always been surprisingly hopeful. When I see them, it just means that like we're we have enough, um, we've steeled ourselves enough, and we have enough hope in the world at large that this isn't going to happen. So let's fantasize about what we'd do if it did happen. Like it's safe mm. to imagine that. Like it's like right. that's a pure apocalypse. So now we have superhero movies, which are kind of you know blo- there's an overlap there for sure, but superhero movies are everywhere and superhero movies are for our fantasies for the powerless right so so i i feel like and just coming from uh, you know as a kid i read comic books and stuff like that and that i was never more powerless than i was when i was a kid the whole world was (laughs) either out to get me or was just gonna blow up because it was you know cold war but but so the but the superhero thing it it uh it gave me hope that at least if I had some of these powers, or if I could put myself in, in this, these situations, how would I react? And you know, it's sort of like it's almost like reality adjacent, right? So you can't deal with the real apocalypse that's going on out there. So it's reality adjacent. This is more manageable, even though it's just as fantastical as you know, like how would you survive in a zombie uh, apocalypse? Which is you would not. Nobody would. <laughs> it's just eventually everyone's going to get eaten. But that's a superhero thing is safer to 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 imagine in a world that you already think is on the brink like it's not mm-hmm. like we don't have a lot of pathways right now to get out of this so it's pure escapism so that's always been my theory about like why you know ebbs and you know ebbs and flows like i mean uh, world post world war 2 you know, or even during the war comics were huge superheroes were huge yeah. it's kind of the dawn of a lot of the the, the beginning of, of uh the superhero um mythos so I don't know. That's it's it's a loose theory, but it just feels like that. Just now that I'm older, and I feel like I got I got enough, <laughs> you know, uh, I can I can look back a little bit and say, oh yeah, it seems like, you know, if you're gonna saturate a market with with something, there has to be a reason for it, or it, it, you have to believe there's a reflection of why people are drawn to it. You so you seen the new Suicide Squad? So the new Suicide Squad, I enjoyed you, you it. You didn't see it in the theater, obviously. You saw it on no. HBO. And same with me. I, yeah, I would have loved to have seen. I feel like this is a big screen entertainment. Starro would have looked great on a on a hundred foot screen. <laughs> what what were your thoughts? Like uh, you know, you've you've seen the others. I don't know if it's fair to like compare. Like I think there is two ways of looking at it. Like you compare it. Like hey, how does this stack up with the other one? And how does this just stack up as a movie? I found myself so even though a lot of the well not a lot but a few of the characters from the first movie show up you know right at the beginning. Viola Davis, who's great and, and super ruthless and sinister in this one. She, I love that she like really turned up the burner, <laughs> like really, like legitimately, like just scary, really good. I mean, again, a testament. She's an amazing actor. But uh, even though I saw characters from the first one, I I quickly forgot about the first movie. I wasn't thinking about it at all throughout this whole movie. Even Harley, who's who's become this. Um, a much more interesting character than she deserves to be. I mean, she started as a she started as a fetish character for yeah. for for you know fanboys, whether you want to people want to admit that or not. But now they've turned her into so she as well. She's emblematic of what I think all the characters. Are, what I think the overarching theme of this is, which is just uh, everyone in this movie is subjugated. Like everybody and everything in this movie is is uh, at some sort of level is dealing with trauma from subjugation. Every single one of them. They're all. Pretty much villains. Like everybody on the screen is a villain, not just an sure. anti-hero. We're used to anti-heroes. I've seen those movies, you know, and this this is more of a redemptive sort of story. This is more about how do you if the world is this bad, 
if everybody if there's so many striations of subjugation and if you go to, you, there's really no es- escape from it then who, who's the company that you keep and and what's your intent with them you know and how do you maintain that sort of like that that sort of like uh outside of yourself aesthetic if you don't if you're so steeped in 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 your trauma and your subjugation how do you heal from that not how do you become a better person necessarily but but how do you get outside of yourself and your own trauma and look up and who's there and do you want that person to stay there and what do i do about that it's like a very simple sort of feel like everybody like starro everybody has been taken advantage of and they're all dealing with trauma it's not just that simple sort of like evil versus good or anything like that it's it's the most nuanced dc movie if if it's even considered a dc movie i don't know it feels like it's outside of that because of james gunn's influence it's a james gunn joint i think so yeah one of the things that i that i liked about because i mean again I, you know superheroes i want to be in, in this case i just want to be entertained yeah and for sure I, I, and you know my my uh my oldest he wanted to watch it we want to watch it and my wife who we almost had to force her to watch. She didn't see the last one. She, she was very entertained by this movie. Oh, that's great. And, yeah. you know, instantly, this is one of those gut feel things. I knew within the first, like, couple of minutes yeah. of the film, I'm on board with this train. Um, and I think that's a, a, a tribute to James Gunn as a filmmaker because he definitely has a style mm-hmm. and a rhythm, the way he writes characters. And it's not that he's repeating what he did in the Guardians of the Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's just the stuff that he's strong at and taking these ragtag characters and the interplay. And a lot of times that stuff feels very forced in these uh, comic book movies. Yeah. The dialogue's kind of right. stale and they're really trying so hard and the one-liners just don't work. Especially with DC movies. Especially. Terrible yeah. dialogue. But I think that's a tribute to you got to get the right director who right. can make it work. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think that's where James Gunn's strength is. He somehow, I feel like the movie's very gonzo. Like, it's yeah. just like taking whatever they give you in a superhero comic book movie, and he just ratchets it up and does whatever he wants. And I feel like for the first time, he kind of, well, maybe, I mean, people kind of felt that way about uh, Deadpool. Um, I, I was, I'm not a huge fan of the Deadpool movies, but I feel like for the first time, comic book movies in, in his hands have gotten a little dangerous. Like, I, I felt like this movie really breaks a lot of the rules. Yeah, for sure. It certainly does that at the very beginning. It's episodic. Like, he has this, like, <laughs> it's, I, I don't, I'm surprised that I, I really don't think I've seen that yet in, in a lot of the modern superhero movies, you know? And he has, like, the intro for each episode and all that. It's just yeah. So, you know, just, it's, it's I, yeah, there's a lot of, um, and it's a lot of characters not being put into situations. It's a lot of characters as you watch them, find themselves in certain situations, right? And so it, it's, it seems less, there's less artifice, to, even though it's all art, but there's less artifice to the way that they get to these, from scene to scene to scene. It doesn't seem like you're just barreling through to get to the the big bad or anything like that. It feels like this, there's growth in their interactions. Like it starts very obviously, everyone's going to, but just to see them actually get closer and closer together and to make the actual decision at the end to not get out of there, but just to go back, that's, it makes that impact a little more, I think. Well, one of the things that is different about this movie, and it's just, I mean, again, when you throw that many characters in, it allows him to do, and of course, these aren't characters that, for the most part, many of us really know too well. So by his willingness to kill off 
a bunch of them. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's, you know, spoiler alert. I'm, I'm not giving any names, but I'm just saying some people don't make it in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the way old film, like I keep thinking of like when you had a Dirty Dozen, what was amazing about that movie. And I remember the very first time I ever watched it on TV, you grew to love all of these bad guys for the most part. And then by the end of it, almost all of them are dead. Yeah. And it's a real shock because people you really like don't make it. And so at the end, you're like, oh, no, but I don't like that much. And I found myself getting sucked in by these characters and not wanting certain ones to die. Right. And that's like, you don't get that too much anymore. It's a little, yeah, it's a little, they get rid of a, not to give too much away, but they get rid of a bunch sort of right off the top. Right. You don't know if these people are going to, like, you have no idea because the stakes have been raised. It's a pretty brave move right at the beginning, yeah. But it it puts you on uneasy. That's why I say it's dangerous. I really don't now know, oh, this person, that person are going to make it all the way through. And then, you know, I mean, there are some characters that shouldn't be any good, like in any other hands. And I think that's what's so fascinating, that the polka dot man. Yes. That's a character. They invest way more time in getting you to like that character than you ever get. And I love that character. <laughs> right. Ratcatcher 2. She's amazing. She should really be the character that's like, ugh, why did they lean on her so much? But you know what? You get to really like Ratcatcher 2. And you really love that character. And you've never seen her before. She's she's really fairly new on the scene. And then, of course, King Shark, right? When you can care about a CGI character. <laughs> it's the biggest trick in the world. I know. You I'm go just, yeah. beyond knowing it's CGI. That's what it's so fantastic. And even the the, the big the big uh, guy at the end there, the big starfish there. Starro. You know what? So many of these CGI movies, it's a big monster with like 10 rows of teeth. And we've seen it all before. Starro was very creative and inventive. And I actually enjoy, I usually hate the finale of these type of movies because they're just big and actiony and I just kind of tune out. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. But I actually really found the finale of this worthy of the rest of the movie. And it's kind of a lot of threads link up too, like Taika Waititi's character, Ratcatcher 2. Yes, like Ratcatcher 1. Some of the things that he said, again, it's, I know we're in spoiler territory, territory here. No, I mean, you know, look- he does a, He tries to do a lot. Some of it's. I mean, there are things. If I want to pick, I, I got to be honest. My my one of my least favorite characters is Harley Quinn. Yeah, I'm not a big Harley Quinn, and for a while, I found that that part of the story dragged. But then her big moment was such a brilliant action piece. Yeah, and 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 brought in so many interesting flourishes, kind of throwing the magic realism into it. Mm. It gave you a window into maybe how this character is seeing the world. Yes, and I, I so again, he's bringing filmmaking conventions into play in a, it, within a DC like a comic book movie. You know, like that's where you know you you just went on at the beginning of this talking about all these thematic things. I just don't think many of these movies ever try to go that deep. Like Black Widow. I mean, come on. Was there anything real? To me, Black Widow could have been directed by, a, you know, an algorithm, as Teal would say. I enjoyed it. it it's just it, what I enjoyed the most about it was the the, the quieter moments where the, the familial stuff was was fun. I think I think the back and forth between her and Florence Pugh was, you know, it's just, you know, long lost sisters. There was a sisterly nuance there that was just like i've i know i've overheard sisters talk like that in the back seat of the front seat where it's it's really good and for them to yeah. sort of like tap into that and just have that natural rapport uh and to be able to translate it on the screen while you know speaking in you know uh, florence speaking in a ridiculous accent and i don't people say she stole the show 
I thought she did a fantastic job. I really thought she did a great job. She took dialogue that honestly, when you read it on the page, you must have been like, yeah. I really have to make this stupid joke about the pockets. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that stuff is actually kind of poorly written. Yeah. But but when you have a great actor who can elevate that to actually be funny, mm-hmm. and that's what I think uh, Florence Pugh did there. Um, and she took the dialogue and, you know, making the jokes about the way- The stance. That, uh, Scarlet- yeah, yeah, like that stuff, <laughs> it's, it's very Marvel jokey, but it was done very well, mm-hmm. you know, so I give some credit to that. So, but, you know, I'm a little surprised that Suicide Squad, I'm recommending it uh, highly to people nice. just as a great piece of entertainment. And again, we're stuck at home and I can't go to the movies. And this is the kind of, if anything, that's a sad, I look at some of these films and I reminisce, you know, because I love seeing things in a big screen. Yeah, yeah. So when I watch the Suicide Squad and like the, I, I, you know me, I'll, I'll I'll knock digital every time I can get it. But it's when a filmmaker does something unique with the digital. And I feel that his cinematographer, Henry Bram, who shot uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I noticed this as well. There is this color saturation that I don't think is achievable the way that they shoot on film today that he is getting out of the digital that is very unique. And it's adding these flourishes that make me say, hey, you know, digital can give you a different look. And I really like the way the Suicide Squad looked. Yeah, it, it, as long as it merges with the, you know, the, the fantasy level, I think it would have to be, it has to be more of a fantastical movie than something, you know, deeply rooted in, you know, just some like quiet Dust Belt thing, but they, but the uh, uh, I, that's right. I didn't know he did Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy too. That's a very similar color scheme. When yeah, it's used. and he didn't shoot the first one, but I noticed there was just something about the way the reds looked. There's just they just kind of shot right through. And I did see Guardians of the Galaxy two on uh, in IMAX. Actually, I saw the first one in IMAX too. And that's where uh, you know what it kills me that I know that they format it you know with the IMAX cameras so if i was seeing it in IMAX it would have been big wide full screen and i'd like to see king shark so like i, I envision a day like maybe a year from now or something maybe IMAX is back I, I would really hope that when a lot of these theaters open they consider doing some festivals of showing you some of the big films that great. they didn't get to show yeah i would i would go see suicide squad in the in the screen in a minute i know we have some drive in options down here too but it's just not not the same Sort of on a whim over the um, pandemic, I, I grabbed a uh, an Oculus Two, and I've never had a. Oh, 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 oh! I'm glad that you, you're. I'm. I've been wanting to know yeah. how is it watching a movie in on an Oculus. It's my favorite thing to do on it. Uh, so you can have all these virtual uh, theater experiences, like this one. Yeah. This one that's on a starship that's just going. The stars going by. The star fields going by, and all that. And you can watch whatever you want. You can set up your own room. And watch things from like live streams from Pluto or whatever. Like I, I, I jumped to this <laughs> one theater uh, that was just watching uh, uh, Rick and Morty marathon. So I just sat there and watched Rick and Morty for a while. Then there was one that was watching the X Files, which is my favorite. Just being able to look around in a virtual environment. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that I'm not using it like every every day. Because <laughs> well, if I was a kid, I'd be using it every day. If you're so, if you're in this virtual environment, say you have it like set up like you're sitting in a movie theater. If you look left. Does the screen stay straight? Oh, yeah. So that's pretty wild. Your, your uh, line of view uh, functions the same way. It just maps where your head movement is, so you can move around. And the, what's nice about the Oculus is it's tetherless, so there's no wire. So you can stand up and look around and walk around. And when you talk, there's a microphone 
uh, and obviously the headphones are built right in, and the, and the mic, the built-in microphone and ambient headset is fine. You like, you don't need to have. You can have earbuds too if you want. But when someone comes up to you and talks, their mouth moves, and their hand. It, it also it, it maps your hand movements too because you're holding two controllers, so it, it'll map your hand movements so you can gesticulate as you talk too. So it's wow. pretty. It's a pretty immersive experience. There's an exp- if you tether it, you can tether it. It's a USB C connector. If you tether it, I guess there's a there's an experimental um, app you can use where you can uh, up it to 1080p. Because I think if they get the quality a little bit closer, that's when that's when I'm looking into like hmm, maybe I gotta jump into this virtual reality world. Yeah, gotta watch my Criterion movies on <laughs> <in> the <laughs> Oculus. Well, that's it. It's just sort of like. It's putting yourself in such, like, you know, unless you live alone, it's putting yourself in such a vulnerable position because you're, it's blocking all your senses. So you're just, uh, uh, more than once, my wife is sort of, you know, scared the hell out of me by <laughs> what, you know, and I can't, I can't imagine what it looks like. It just looks like, remember that's like Ready Player One over there at the, yeah, right. Or, remember Strange Days with, uh, um, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, Strange Days with, uh, with, uh, Ray Fiennes, uh, Ray, miscast Ray Fiennes, yeah. Fiennes, I believe. Yeah. That whole movie, it, it, it's like, it's a noble failure. It's like, yeah, Big, Bigelow's amazing, but the, and it was, it's very ambitious. So I don't, I can't hate it, but it almost felt like it was out of date as soon as it came out. Yeah. Well, it kind of was. Yeah. Okay. So we like the suicide squad. We recommend it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, maybe we won't talk about this too much because I have not seen it, but I'm kind of curious because I want to see it. And it sounds like you've seen it is this Nicolas Cage movie called Pig. So for every 10 movies Nicolas Cage does that are just horrible, he does this one gem that the critics start saying, hey, this is really good. And that's the one that I want to see. So tell me about this Pig movie. So I grew up in a world where. In a world. In a world where you look forward to the next Nicolas Cage production. Ah, high school. Yes, yes. Those were the days, eh, Alva? I grew up in a world where I looked forward to the next thing Nicolas Cage was doing no matter what. I mean, there was a long stretch there right from the beginning where he was the most interesting actor work. Yeah, and th- you like knew that whatever you were going to get from him was going to be like out there. Right. I think Crispin Glover got caught up in sort of like the, the lawsuit and all that, <laughs> yeah. but because he would have been in tandem with that. But uh, we had uh, Nicolas Cage, and he got really popular, and then The Rock came out, and then I didn't want to see anything else he was doing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned The Rock, because he he was coming off of Academy Award winning performance, Leaving Las Vegas. Right. It was amazing. It was amazing. And... And of course, Michael Bay <laughs> at the time, I don't think I realized the Michael Bay name attached to something was going to be, uh, and I remember, okay, Nicolas Cage is going to be in this movie, The Rock. And I'm thinking, this is going to be fascinating. What will wild unhinged Cage do inside of an action movie? And I was shocked that it was like he was caged. They really? didn't unleash the beast. No. And he just did this other persona. And of course, then the money's really good. And he went on this other... I think he wanted to prove to himself that he could be a, a leading man in an action movie. and Because that, that's a big check. And I, I get yeah, that. And it, I he, get he it. hadn't really done that before. Oh, when was... Uh, what was the other one when he was in the plane and the crashes? Well, then he did Con Air. Con Air was that. after Rock, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think he just... It was just something he wanted to prove to himself. And, you know, why not make a ton of money so you can go off and do your own projects? That That's fine. But it's it's... 
it's so disappointing and it just uh, hugely uninteresting. And plus they had Sean Connery in the rock half the scenes. He seems like he wants to be there. And the other half, he's just sort of like, well, he was getting a big paycheck and he didn't have to do too many movies afterwards. And the worst, the worst dialogue I've ever heard in, in an action movie. Mm. Just stupid. Just a stupid, stupid movie. That was the first time I, I saw a Michael Bay car chase where it just, there's a lot going on and it's not engaging at all. Because the camera cuts too much. Got to cut, 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 cut to all the stuff. Like the same with the Transformers movies. I don't, it's, it's, it is insisting that I look away from the screen. <laughs> like just, just chop, 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 chop. Teal and I hate him so much that we basically did a whole episode where we watched Six Underground and and discussed it uh, for those because it was so horrible. I was shocked at how bad a movie that was. Another ter- terrible dialogue movie. Terrible dialogue. You watched Six Underground? Yeah, because why did I? There's a oh pandemic. <laughs> right. Honest to, yeah. honest to God, I think that's exactly why I watched it. Can I tell you an embarrassing story really quick? So the reason we have a, we have an infinite amount of time, and it's how do you want to use? Oh, the well, time you may not want to hear this. Whatever we don't get into, we don't get into. So I killed a vagrant. No, so uh, it was like I don't know. It was a Tuesday night. I didn't have to work the next day. We had just discovered Drizzly, so I uh, uh, so we had like a box of wine probably sitting around, and I th- I was trying to get the Criterion Channel, and uh, there was a problem with my credit card. So that's the embarrassing part. So that's okay. fine. So I was so frustrated. I saw that Six Underground was available. I'm like, all right. I, it was almost like a like a mouthwash. Just sort of like I just want to. Uh, I was all ready to see something with 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 actual legs and 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 you know with some sort of artistic merit. I'll just watch so you went this. The complete opposite way. The complete like, opposite fine, I'm way. Punish myself. Almost to just self-flagellate myself with another yep. bay piece <laughs> of crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did. So that's what happened. Uh, so that's how I saw that movie. And it's yeah. I I don't know if I made it through without fast forwarding a bunch of it. I don't I don't remember the ending. Uh, I remember there was a big outdoor aquarium. I've seen it twice because I and I don't remember what happens at the end. They, they set it up for a possible sequel, and then Netflix has said no, which basically means after whatever happened in the initial couple of weeks, nobody's watching that show. Plus, it also had no buzz, and yeah. that's a whole other thing. That's that's tying in what I'm experiencing yeah. with the pandemic, and I think that filmmakers are going to have to think about these things differently. Is the studios want to have people just streaming at home? These movies are always set up, especially these tent pole films, to set up with these jokes that only work if you're in a theater mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of people. Yeah. It's all designed for the oh, crowd, you know, crowd yeah, appeal. Sure. When you're when you don't have that crowd appeal, and it's just, it land, some of those things land like a thud. I tried watching some stand up, uh, some Zoom stand up. Sorry, I just felt bad for the person doing the the, the yeah. stand up. Even if the jokes were clever or good, there's just you're waiting for this. It's like two, three, B, wait for the they, beat. They couldn't hear you heckle them, right? I just typed it. They read it later, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes watching a big stand-up special, um, you know, because we used to do that as kids watching on HBO in like the 80s or whatever. Delirious. That could still be good, but I don't go searching them out. Um, but what about Pig? Tell me about Pig I, and Nicholas Cage. I loved Cage. Pig. So Pig made me want to, uh, you know, look forward to the next Nicholas Cage movie. So this That's was- what a, you want out of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a nuanced performance with some, there's some bubbling- I don't want to say bubbling cage, but he's, it's really, it's him. It's restrained. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. It's not what I expect. I don't know. I, I think there was some marketing push here or there, maybe intentionally or not, where it's just sort of like a, 
ominous, like a John Wick type thing. Like this guy's been wronged and he's going right. to get his pig. And that's back. been popular lately. Right. The, you know, like the, the the ordinary man becomes the extraordinary. He has a secret career that it gets exposed after someone kills his pig or his dog or whatever. Right. And I enjoyed Nobody Too with Odenkirk. I love that, anything that guy does. But yeah, I was expecting some more of that. And so, so it's my fault that I went in thinking it was going to be a little bit that. So at the beginning, I was a little put off by the the sort of like the slow deliberate pacing Mm -hmm. but it it kind of pays off throughout the whole the whole movie's great it's just it's about he's basically this hollowed out ghost of a a person that you don't know anything about and the, the real joy in this movie is how they reveal more of his past through the interactions that you don't expect are going to happen as he goes on this quest to ostensibly you know get his pig back and there are it allows for certain moments of just like um is this guy going to blow up and flip the table and kill somebody? You know, there, there's a couple of those moments. Right. It, one, as soon as that happens, you're almost embarrassed because you. Uh, it's more of that, like the, the outside influence, I think, of all these action movies, like trying to, to, to impose, like to expect the next beat. But it's just, once you finally get into the rhythm of the movie, for me, it took longer, I'm saying. so. But once I finally got into the rhythm of the movie, it's just... I mean, I I kind of loved everything about it. I just fell in love with it. Hmm. it. It's on my radar screen, and you're the first person that I know that actually saw the film. I loved it. Yeah, it's um. You wrote about it on Facebook. That's how I knew. I was like, I didn't read it too much because I'm like, he he seems to like it. It seems to be a rave. I want to talk to him about it here. Yeah, I don't want to put too much in there because there are. Yeah, do you find if you review something on Facebook and you love it? It's the haters decide. Even your friends, like people just want to tear something down. You write something that you really love it. And they're like, this is terrible. What do you mean you liked it? I, but yet you could write something sucks and nobody, nobody bats an eyelash. But as soon as you say you really like something, the wolves come in. Yeah. I'm not on Facebook a lot these days. <laughs> I will post things that I post random stuff and, the, and then I will post off. I'll post a review of something usually in, yeah. the, in the moment. After I've seen the movie, if I'm, you know, if I'm still moved by it and I'm still sort of s- swimming in the in the uh, the post movieus of it, uh, I'll uh, I'll usually write the review there. I'm just, you know, it just it just starts, yeah, because I, I want to be able to articulate, you know, what I'm feeling about it, and I don't want to forget that, you know, because a lot of the just these days I don't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> because you don't post very often, and when you do post something, that's when I'm like, oh wait a second. Mike's coming in with a review here on a film that I was interested in, and now, now I gotta get, now I gotta see this film. So I mean, to me, I can't wait to get a chance to watch this pig film. Uh, and it's definitely, it's not, you know, again, I, I'm like you. I I live for a good cage movie, and I, and I really liked uh, Mandy, and I liked the Colorado Space movie mm-hmm. uh, that he did. This one, I I think they were so close to me falling back in love with with Nicolas Cage. I, I liked them. I thought I thought they were both a little. I think the endings of both of them weren't great, <laughs> but I, well, I liked, like Mandy. As I recall, Mandy's it, more it atmosphere. Run, and, it, yeah, it, yeah. It has a, it runs out of a little steam, but uh, does a great ride in that movie. Great soundtrack. Yeah. Great uh, cinematography. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, this one is um, this is his next level, I think, where he's sort of like really getting back. Like he really, you could tell he really cares about this movie too. See, there, are people listening. There's a new recommendation. Uh, you know, if you happen to be in your theaters and you're dare brave to go to the theaters, you can see Pig, maybe, but also look for it when a, you know in the streaming somewhere because Michael McQuilkin says you love it. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's always, you know, that's what I like about this show. I look at somebody doesn't like something I recommend. They can always write at feedback and stuff. We've seen.com, but I, I'm never going to be like, nah, I don't know if I should tell people I like this or not. Cause they may not like it. Well, I don't care. I like it. And that's, <laughs> a, that's enough. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, agreed. One more thing about the reviews. Once I write a review, I'm galvanized. Like I, I don't care. Like I, I read, cause I'm so, it's so clear what I liked about it. I've, I've captured it in that moment. I can just, you can, throw whatever you want at me. And I don't think anything I wrote is going to jive with what you're saying uh, because it just wasn't for you. It sounds like, you know, so I, I don't, uh, so I don't care about the negative, you know, criticism or people, you know, for, for the sake of just being another voice on the internet saying that they don't agree with you. <laughs> or do you like to put it on the IMDB? The, right. <laughs> you ever see your, I, I did those reviews, man. Uh, you know, I always love that somebody, like if they hated something, they, they take this time to write about how awful it is, but they, they just never good at writing reviews like these, but this is their forum. They get their opportunity. So they're writing it. I wrote one review on internet movie database and that was for Red Belt. And it was right after I saw it and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it's a few paragraphs long and then, you know, and then all the, the other comments were just, nah, this movie sucked. Okay. Thanks. Thanks everybody. I think that's kind of amusing. If I watch, if I, if I see a film and it's horrible, I may go to see what the reaction is <laughs> yeah. on there. But otherwise, I, I, I'm always shocked at like how poor people's grammar is. I mean, I'm no gra- grammatarian, but I, I, I can form a few sentences together. Okay, so I'm definitely going to look at Pig. My next thing, and I, maybe this is going to be brief. I don't know. I just am curious about it. Is another thing that you would post on on Twitter? <laughs> not Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm say this again. Another thing you had posted on your Facebook is there was a, a time where I don't know if it was it was during the pandemic that you were maybe online. You have a friend. And you guys were either ga- gathering together virtually or something, and you guys were watching Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, right. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. My friend Mark Mark Troiano. I, I love. I just love this idea that you that you were bonding with a, a pal, and you made it a point to get together again. I I think it was virtually, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just started uh, meeting up. We're, we're on the return now, so we just started meeting up um, at his. So you're still doing it? Yes. Yeah. Got through season one and two. And had you seen? Had you seen the return before? Yeah, the return. I watched it uh, uh, as it was the last appointment television thing I think I ever watched. Right, because it's it came out weekly and at a certain time on Showtime. Yeah, it was prior to be doing this uh, show, and uh, I only wish I was. You know, I wish it was on while I was doing the show because I'd be talking about it all the time. Because I really, I just. I just fell in love with that thing. It's singular. There's nothing like. Yeah. There's nothing like when, when, with Lynch in, in, you know, in with all of his powers and just letting scenes like bleed out. <laughs> just yeah. Just like not and just sort of like this um uh, this uh, this uneasiness. Just trying to find you know desperately trying to find like a like a pace or or, or a flag as to like what the next moment is going to be. But then you just let go of that and it's just. Amazing. It's an amazing accomplishment. It's 18 one hour or 45 minute to an hour episodes. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Yeah. It is absolutely, I've never seen, I mean, within the series, there are moments that I've said, oh, I've seen that. But like, just the way it even starts, the first two episodes, that's like, it's like, what is this? And then of course, the very famous episode, I think it's like episode seven. I mean, I- The birth of Bob- (laughs) <laughs> watching that and just my mouth yeah. just open and being like, what am I want? And, and, and really feeling moved by what I watched because when you see something that you just like, you know, you're so used to this flavor and that flavor and maybe it's a little bit different, but it's still, it's still ice cream. Yeah. And then you see something you're like, 
nope, I've never seen anything like this. It happens so rarely now. And that excites me. Yeah. If you can still do it, why not do it? If you can still make things that people haven't seen, why not just do that? <laughs> you know, that's, we just keep on doing all these, not to make an, a, a, you know, an overgeneralization, but there's so many remakes and things right now. It's like, that's why I'm, I'm sure I'm not as prolific at watching movies as I was because there's just so many threads and tenants and, 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 you know, boilerplate sort of approaches to stories right now, where even if it starts off with, you know, a decent character or a decent performance, then it just becomes familiar very quickly. But with Lynch, I don't know what the hell is going to happen from one second to the next. And it's just yeah. amazing. It's not, I mean, it happens elsewhere, but it doesn't happen enough. A lot of the A24 stuff from the past two years has been, um, there's some surprising stuff there, but. Funny you mentioned that. Yeah. Because um, I was having this thought last night. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've seen it or not. Have you seen The Green Knight? No, I, I, you had mentioned that you were going to try to see it, but that's, I couldn't find it anywhere. I'm going to talk about it very cursory here, but you mentioned A24. So they had a virtual screening thing where it was $20 and it was like, whatever. My wife and I are going to watch it. It was kind of like, it, we tried to make it feel like it was an event, right? Right. It was like 4K, whatever. A24 is great for that too. They do a lot of event stuff. They're really uh, clever on that that front. I guess the reason why would I even do that, you know, because I'm like notorious for like just waiting till I can stream it for free or whatever, is because most films... Unless it's like Marvel and you know, oh, Marvel and it's owned by Disney and there's that Marvel brand because it's comic books. It's like Marvel's not making just like, you know, a, a non-comic book movie. They're making comic books. Most films would come out, if you didn't see what the parent company was, you'd have no idea mm. because they don't, they could be anything. Like I think there used to be a studio system where studios would give you a certain type of entertainment for the most part. Uh, like Disney would do that with Touchstone, right? right. Touchstone had a sort of flavor... Um, but like Warner Brothers is always known for crime and kind of gritty action stuff. Uh, but everything is kind of, you know, again, you don't know what you're going to get. But you just said A24. They, their movies, they are like feel like these curated experiences. Yeah. And they definitely have this brand identity. After I watch a film, like I watched last night, The Green Knight, I'm like, this is an A24 movie all the way. What'd you think? You're still processing? It's a wild movie. Yeah. You know what? You said this about Pig. I didn't. I actually stayed away from the trailers. I just kind of knew I wanted to see it, heard it, heard some buzz, yeah. but I didn't want to really know much about it. I knew the. I knew it had something to do with the King Arthur side legend and stuff, and I'm not as familiar with that whole um, mythology, so I don't know all the characters as well as somebody else might. Yeah. It's just the poem of Gawain and the Green Knight. Mm-hmm. And so it's a story that if you know the Arthur legends and stuff, you would, would know this story. And he adapts it. It's not an action movie. It's a weird journey. And it's this visual experience, mm. audio and visual experience. Uh, there's not a ton of dialogue in it. Uh, Dev Patel is the, the lead guy. And uh, he doesn't really even say much. He's a very passive character mm. going through this journey. So it's a hard movie to re- recommend to everybody. You know, there's certain tastes that people, I could see someone going, that was the worst, most boring <laughs> film I ever watched. That's just how some people go. It is so unique with the visuals, the style. Director David Lowry, this is, I guess it's a movie he's been building to because he has got a singular vision. He's done a, several movies. Uh, he did a ghost story that oh, yeah. uh, is not the ghost story from 1980. Uh, it's the uh, one that had... Um, Casey Affleck in mm-hmm. it. He's just got the sheet over him the whole time. He's got the sheet over yeah. him. Uh, he did a, a, a new version of Pete's Dragon, 
a few years ago, oh. which is like totally like an interesting kids movie. I saw it with my kids. I've heard that was a yeah. Smaller. I've heard that was a yeah. It's not surprise, like yeah. it's not. It, it definitely has touches of an artist. Yeah. And I did this movie called Ain't Them Body Saints, which is uh, I don't know if it's still on Criterion. It was, and uh, Robert Redford movie Old Man and a Gun. Mm about a bank robber. Uh, so he's very eclectic. This this film is almost like, where did this come from? Mm. I, I think if you like fantasy at all and adventure, I mean, you know, people who like, uh, say, the Lord of the Rings movies, but maybe a slower paced Lord of the Rings, this is a really cool movie to check out. All right, that's good. I'm glad it's just not Excalibur 2. <laughs> it, had, it had a little bit of an Excalibur feel to it. Which it has just, some surreal moments in it. Excalibur. And it does. That's why, you know, but I mean, when you see this film, I think you'll you'll probably send me a message and be like, whoa, that was, I only wish I could have seen it in the theater because it, it just. Looks like a wide scope too. No, no, no. It's like a 185 movie. Oh, okay. But it's what you, you know what? Well, I don't give a crap about widescreen because most people don't know how to fill that screen. Yeah, right. Right? They don't know how to compose. A really good director can compose imagery in 185 and you get really drawn in it is it is probably one of the more gorgeous films i've seen in a long time oh, all right i'm dying to see it then. i might i'll see it tonight i think if it's available it's really uh i liked it i liked yeah. it a lot uh well that's okay because now you know what we, we are we, we've been talking for a while and that gives us enough time for this last segment <laughs> that i've been really wanting be? to get to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we've mentioned a few times that you're a little bit of a reviewer guy on uh, Facebook once in a while. And I don't know, it was like a few months ago, right? You had posted this uh reevaluation slash zoom I don't know, I don't think it was a rave, but you had done a reevaluation of Hudson Hawk, the nineteen ninety one Michael Lehman movie That's correct. with Bruce Willis. That's that correct. <laughs> notorious box office bomb. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it actually, it wasn't like it didn't. You know, what was a, the notorious box office bomb was the other Bruce Willis movie, Bonfire of the Vanities, and yeah. there's a really good podcast uh, focused right now about that called The Devil's Candy. Oh yeah, I just saw that. I subscribed to that. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah. I've, I've listened to every. Episode. Did you listen to the Siskel and Ebert one? Siskel and Ebert. There's a Siskel and Ebert podcast uh, that just covers Ooh. that. It's more of a documentary style. Uh, just covers their history. Oh, check I'll out. send you a link to it. All right. So I'm going to, now I got to, now I got to, I'm making a note here. Cisco and Ebert podcast, but it actually didn't do like the worst, but it was, a, it was an overblown movie. Yeah. And I, I saw it a couple of times when it first came out. I think I saw it once in the theater. I was working that summer in college. And then at the end of the summer, I went to the drive-ins and saw it with uh, Terminator 2 because we thought it would be fun. That's a strange to... mix of... <laughs> That's a strange yeah, maybe in the same feature. studio or something. So we thought that would be fun to make fun of the movie. And Hudson Hawk, it really just, it wasn't even enough to like make fun of it or something. And then I think I might've caught it on cable a few years later. I haven't seen it in years. But when you posted that, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was so, I was like, I was so like, all right. I'm like, do, is this a, is this a movie that has to be reevaluated? Do I have to watch it now? Right. And I was going to watch it, but I couldn't find it. And then the other day I noticed it was on HBO Max. So I'm like, and you watched it. I got Mike coming on the show <laughs> and I don't feel comfortable taking him to task on Hudson Hawk unless I rewatch this movie myself and get some <laughs> feelings and thoughts on the matter. Mm -hmm. And I have rewatched the whole thing and I have not changed my opinion <gasps> Wait a on minute. this film. <laughs> you were supposed to change your opinion. No, I years. did not. My re my reevaluation <laughs> is the same. Uh, I, I am struck, but I have like a lot of opinions on what I think is the deal with this movie. 
and I actually took notes this time I, t- I mm. took notes throughout <laughs> the film because I didn't because I think that if you take on a movie like this if you take notes on the things that are just so horrible and offensive then you don't forget about them and then it becomes irrefutable evidence that sure. this movie is horrible yeah, yeah. sorry fair enough like, this is not fair to do fair at the end of the, the show um, being responsible <laughs> Uh, well, uh, and I, I feel like it would be bad to lead you on a path of you telling me why you think it's so not so good, but why it's worth reevaluation, <laughs> and then me like hammering you. So instead, I will say that the biggest problem that I see with the movie, and it was shocked because I'm looking at it, and I had to ask myself early on. I had to stop, and I said, "What is the rating on this movie? It's rated R." That's weird. The problem is. And that's indicative, by the way, of how mismanaged this whole production was, is that Bruce Willis, for the large part, he was successful in the Die Hard movies, mm-hmm. and he made rated R entertainment. So I'm guessing they thought, well, if it's going to be a Bruce Willis movie action, someone's like, if it's going to, it's got to be rated R, I guess, mm-hmm. because this is a 1986 PG-13 movie. That is wrapped up in an R-rated 1991 overblown bubble. That's an interesting way. It's yeah. not a. It's 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 a PG-13 movie aimed at kids mm-hmm. who are like 13 and 1986, and yet it came, comes out five years later and it's rated R. And nobody like rated R audiences because I worked at the movie theaters back then. Those are like people going on dates and stuff. Yeah. This was too silly. For a rated R movie. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's really what happens. I think it was the, the Catholic Church stuff. They probably saw it as blas- blasphemous. So they just said, nope, nope. You can't have a cross be a communication device. <laughs> you would think so. But it, the thing is, is that there's actually some violence, which of course never seemed to have stopped the ratings board, but they use the F swear. And of course we're adults, right? We don't pay, like, we don't even pay attention yeah, yeah, yeah. when a movie says F, like I don't even pay attention because I could give a crap about the F swear. Certainly not in Revere where I saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to say it like maybe twice, I think, in certain yeah, contexts so. in a movie. They're swearing left and right. like, And so content-wise, they were not concerned about that. And that, I think, was above anything was a radar. But see, if I was a producer, the one thing I would rein in and say, you know what, guys, we have a movie for teenagers. But it's an, it's a, it's an action comedy, but it's not lethal weapon action comedy. Yeah. So we got to make this thing PG-13. We can do, you want to do whatever you want, Bruce, because it was his baby. It was his story idea. He brought it to the studio. Joe Silver was involved, which is, he's kind of like uh, the producer version of Michael Bay, right? He did these overblown films. That's already, I think, its first big mistake. Yeah. And then it has opening narration by like the, uh, he was only, he only lived a few more years after this, but the, the guy who narrated Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, was the narrator. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, I, I, look, at it, I, I'm not going to go tearing a movie down when I'm going to find out everything yeah. that I can. So it starts off, and it starts off like in Da Vinci's times, right? Because it's set up a little prologue, and there's this man on a horse coming up, and it starts narrating, and then basically he makes a joke that the man on the horse has nothing to do with this movie. Thud. I'm like, uh-oh, these bad jokes. This is what's going to be. Yeah, but it's also setting up for a little bit of self-awareness. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, okay, but then this is the, here's the one, two punch. Now you maybe have forgotten about this, but then it follows up where Da Vinci is painting and he's got this, this person, this model, yeah. and it's the person that she looks like the Mona Lisa. Yeah. She's got these really terrible, terrible fake, like yeah. these teeth that are like Austin Powers. They look even worse than his teeth. And that joke, and then of course he has left that mouth part in the painting blank. 
and that's just horrible. And then like five minutes later, Bruce Willis is getting out of jail and the guy who's at the prison giving him his possessions back smiles at him and he has the same bad prosthetic teeth as the Mona Lisa. But they actually look like somebody had just jammed fake teeth yeah. up there. You can actually see how bad. And I'm like, what? what's going on here? <laughs> Who put this together? Like, why? What is going on here? And, and and then this whole movie is just like that, which I guess if you want to have Easter eggs of bizarreness, that could be fun to watch the movie for that. I like that it just barrels forward. <laughs> I like that it, it was, it, it was, it's a movie like the, where, uh, first of all, this is another too many cooks in the kitchen thing too. And one, if one of those cooks is Bruce Willis, then you're screwed. So apparently Bruce Willis really yes. took over the screenplay. He did. And just insisted on entertaining whatever idea came at them. And then the man, I guess, was exhausted, like even before the, you know, half the movie was done. So he, it's just, so everything just gets thrown at the wall here. And just for that, that kind of ambitious, well, who gives it? We got all this money. Who gives a shit? Let's just go and see what the hell happens. I don't know what's going to happen. So I, I said very early on, nobody knew what the hell was going to happen in this movie. And it was, I don't want to say rudderless, but it, it certainly didn't didn't have uh, everything figured out. So the idea of just well, by the end of that movie, it's like it just so <laughs> off the rails by the end where it's just I mean, you actually, you know, we talked about like it, it's exhausting after a while. You start to lose track because it's just yeah. it gets boring because it's so bizarre. There's some things that hit and you can feel that there was like, oh, this was just written there at the moment. And everybody on the set was probably getting a few chuckles. And then the editor is probably like. How, yeah, how far can this move? And then, but then you got to edit all this stuff too. So the editor looks at all this and just like, what the? But I think what the editor did, what ultimately what they put together was big, loud. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I have to see what's going to happen next. Entertainment, and that to me is entertaining. Is it a great movie? I don't think it. I don't think it. I don't think it was ever going to be a great movie. <laughs> I think what they did was, I mean, we're already in this. Let's just. Let's put everything in and just see what the hell happens. Let's see what we can cobble together later on. Like I just saw, I just saw a, uh, a, a, a the movies the movies we love about Pretty Woman, and that that was a uh, um, they were very scared of of the director there. I can't remember Gary Marshall. So Gary Marshall's doing all this improv stuff and throwing like, "Hey, why don't you try this joke?" You know. It, well, it was a dark. It was a very dark story. To yeah, start it yeah. Out the original story was very dark. Was very yeah. Dark, yeah. yeah. But uh, the writer, the screenwriter, was amenable to. All right, let's try to make a Hollywood movie. That that's fine, or whatever. The, you know, whatever that is. But nobody knew. Nobody had any idea what the movie was going to look like until after it was edited. So, and then it was. You know, it's what it was. This, this hugely celebrated. You know, rightfully or wrongly, uh, movie that was hugely entertaining. It's it's a huge. I mean, it, I, I, there's plenty of problems I have with that movie. It is entertaining. It moves forward with purpose. Now, I'm not saying even Hudson Hawk does that. <laughs> I am saying it, it, it. It's something where it got so out of control, and they probably thought you yes. can make something of it in editing. And then you're like, no, nope, I yes. can't. Um, well, like there's like the CIA, <laughs> but, the, but there's a momentum. The, the candy bar yeah. names. That's just not. So you're laughing. You think it's funny? I don't think that's funny. I never thought. <laughs> I of think it. it's funny you brought that up because that is stupid. It's so stupid, right? Now, so then, but then I guess uh, apparently really in one of the drafts they had one type of villain, and it was going to be played. They they actually were originally trying to get Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> to play the villain. Oh. And she was going to do it at one point, and then she, she uh. fell through, and then they're like, well, you know what? Let's." They eventually said, let's have two villains, right? And they'll be like mm. lovers, right? So you had the, like from the different drafts, they said, well, we'll make it, one will be like a sort of a male, and the other one will be a female. Richard E. Grant, <laughs> 
I could watch him read the newspaper. <laughs> is the only thing I like in that movie. Somehow he he is found the way to deliver the hamminess when he's like hockey. I'm the villain. He's the best. Yeah, he's great. And he has so he has the best line of the entire film. I and I had forgotten what it was, but I always knew he had some line that I always loved in the movie. And then when it came out, I was like, "Yep, that's the line I love." And it's like, <laughs> "I'll torture you so slowly you think it's a career. I'll kill your friends, your family, and that bitch you took to the prom." And then, you know, Bruce Willis follows up with this, like, sort of like, hey, I'm going to do that whole thing from Moonlighting where he has that rat-a-tat back and forth. But he only yeah. gets to do that stuff a few times where it works. Like, he threw a – he must – every move, every time he ends a line, like, in a scene, yeah. he has to go with some stupid one-liner. He says something like uh, – the guy's like, oh, Mr. Hawk, we got your stamps. And he's like, good, Yogi. Like, I was like, what? He's just throwing out. There's something in his rider where it's like, I have to button every goddamn scene. Yeah. I am Bruce Willis. The yeah. o- and even whether you've got something or not. The only thing that he said that I liked in the whole movie, and I do remember when we were ushers, we used to say this line, is at the end where the the um, butler henchman and his head mm. gets chopped off and he goes, guess you won't be attending that hat convention in July. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, that makes the whole movie. That was, that was my second favorite line of the whole film. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah, and then yeah. it's like the end. They, I think they reshot the very, very end because there's a scene where they're like outside and they're like in a little terrace all, all hanging out. And then there's like this background and, and it's the worst rear projection I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so it's when he, the very end yeah. when he drinks the cappuccino finally and throws <laughs> so it up. Yeah. I always thought that that looked like, oh my God. did they film that in the parking lot of the movie? And they would never have done that, I don't think, unless that had to be a pickup shot for some reason. I think so. Yeah. You know, they had these other things that, like, now, uh, they really, they really, in this day and age, they play horribly. There's a scene where, like, he's, like, making, like, awful gay prison jokes, and then he follows that up with, like, the making a joke about the dog finishing him off, like, having, uh, you know, his way with it. It was weird. There's just some weird stuff. That's weird. And then, of course, you know about the hairline controversy, right? (laughs) About oh Bruce Bruce's hairline so and this was never officially confirmed but if you saw it on, if you saw it on the big screen you could absolutely see this is that he you know in his ego he was losing his hair right behind in the back and in some of the shots you could see that he had a little bit of baldness going on so he freaked out about it and he made like ILM digitally put some darkness over there so we'd have a full head of hair in the background and that was always like denied and ever but i don't care i remember even at the time 1991 like me and the other ushers looking for it and you could totally see it in some spots there's pictures yeah the internet <laughs> you're, you're like you're like there it is so i mean it's just but yep this is the kind of things that was going on in this movie this is a push pull between bruce willis wanting to make another leading you know wildly popular leading performance and Leman just trying to like pull it into a direction where it's just like can we just Let's try to make something coherent. And this is somewhere in between. And it's ambitious in that way. I mean, because it's it's going to be, it's doomed, right? So it's ambitious in the way that it's like, let's take all the stuff we have and let's get them, let's get Apollo 13 back down to earth. And that's, I just, I don't know. It just, I, I you know, I, I remember enjoying it. And then when I saw it again, I'm like, I still enjoy this. It, and I, but I can't defend, I mean, I'm not going to. I know, Defend it's not like you're like, saying... This is how movies should be made. Yeah, that's right. Hudson Hawk <laughs> really needs to be reevaluated as a masterwork. I get it. It's not... It's not. 
it's not that it's just i'm like you know this is a movie i hadn't thought about much in like 30 years and i'm like all right you know what i'm gonna take the challenge i'm gonna take the hawk challenge <laughs> Let's see. Because, like, maybe, like, you know, over time, it's like, oh, you know, the memories of being, like, in the early 90s. And now I'm like, I guess having listened to The Devil's Candy recently and being reminded mm-hmm. of what an egomaniac ass Bruce Willis was, because you'll hear, you'll, I mean, this guy, he was so full of himself. And, and it's yeah. funny because, you know, there's a movie that was in trouble and they knew it when they started having the screenings. And it actually ties into a story that I read about with Hudson Hawk. So, they were in the middle of, they were shooting Hudson Hawk and the preview screenings started for Bonfire of the Vanities. The reality is they were like, we got to recut this movie. It's not good. Mm. However, one of the only things that the audiences uh, said they liked is, oh, we like Bruce Willis. So the call that he got while they were shooting was, oh, audiences love you in Bonfire of the Vanities. They're going to recut it to add more of you. So He's looking up and he's like, see, I know what's what. We're going to put more of what I'm all about into this movie. And that supposedly is another yeah. thing that set this movie off on a bad course. And then, of course, we know how Bonfire of the Vanities ended up going. I can't remember a single frame of Bonfire of the Vanities. I, I know I've well, seen it twice. It's uh, Probably two or three times. Yeah. I couldn't either. So I rewatched it when we were doing our Brian De Palma episodes. But we never, we, we kind of like thought we'd do another Brian De Palma episode. We never got to it. But I continued watching yeah. the films. And so I watched it. Yeah. And it is just a misfire. It's a yeah. film that... Like, there are some of the trademark De Palma shots and the way he puts scenes together. They just don't look like they belong in that movie. And it's so miscast. And if you listen to The Devil's Candy, you'll really understand that the project was doomed from the decisions at the start. Tom Hanks was the wrong character. All of the things they tried to do to tone down the novel and every decision trying to make it some kind of like, hey, we need to make sure it's an audience picture which it was never right. going to be, it set it on a path that it could never recover from. It could maybe be a, I think they're going to do it as a miniseries now. And that's, you know, television nowadays, you can do a show like that in like five parts. Which is originally how I thought they were going to do Dune, but I guess they just made it. It was talk, movie out you know, and now there's another one, right? I don't want to get in started about how I really would like to see that on a big screen. Yeah. But I don't know. Villeneuve is, uh, yeah, that's another amazing filmmaker. I mean, the problem is, it's not going to be playing at any theater near me, but it will be playing in a living room on HBO Max. So as much as I yeah. would rather go to see it in a big screen, I can't really. And now I'm going to have to see it, you know, at home and I'll enjoy it. But I just know it'll kill me because I really want to see it on the big screen. Yeah. You want to see the big desert and all these, yeah. like, uh, you know, massive landscapes and sandworms. You'll go to the theater. <laughs> Donna I'll wear the Oculus suit. while I'm seeing it and then yeah. we can stream it. It's 720. Oh my God. I know, I know. Uh, technology. Well, they're going to have to do something because if I can't go to the movies anymore, I'm going to need the best home presentation as possible. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'd hold off for the Oculus 3. That'll, that'll probably It'll be, be virtual IMAX. That'll be how they build right. a partner with IMAX. The bandwidth is the, you know, the, the compression because it's all coming over your wireless, mm, right? Yeah. So uh, that's why, you know, if you're tethered, you can get more bandwidth out of a plugged-in connection. So if you don't mind that, and certainly if you're watching a movie, it probably won't be that bad. I'll set up my 5G router and put them right next to it because I know that you can't go too far from a 5G. Proximity. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I mean, this is so much fun because I only get to talk to you like it seems like once a year, even though I don't know why you could come on uh, more often. Pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and still during well we'll check in in a year from now and we'll see we'll see where we're at i guess um we'll see if i'm still doing a show at that point i don't know well i certainly hope well so. i hope so too because again we will be where we're still awaiting we're waiting it's sort of like a doe whether teal will come back at any time soon uh he's at his new location that's about all i know the secrets continue well hello to teal and i miss you man and uh good luck out there uh, and i'm sure when you did your show Great Hadron Gospel Hour, people, by the way. You can still check it out. It's floating around on the internet. Uh, there's like 20-something episodes. It's free and it's awesome. It's funny. But like, <laughs> like if you listen to it from start to finish, you definitely hear like the progression of how comfortable yeah. everybody got with their voices, right, the technical yeah. advancements, uh, just as you learn more, right? So, you know, I mean, that's me. I'm still learning. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing video because learning – video i mean i'm not even i'm like we're talking but i'm not really paying attention so when i get back i'll be like oh my god this is this is horrible <laughs> i can't put this out i keep checking out my bruce willis hairline oh geez. nothing okay. i can do well about it. i'm gonna use the folks at ilm <laughs> i think the digital tools are easier i even could probably uh spruce tell it me up. how much it is i'll i'll split it with you <laughs> yeah. why would i split it i should pay for it well my next thing is if we if i get back to the show with with teal is that i want to get a green screen Learn how to do that mm. so that I can put wacky backdrops in. That's my next step. Sure. They have to, that's a prerequisite. They have to be wacky. Yeah. Well, not, not even relevant. Well, I thought it would like, have to be fun, relevant. Like, like one time it would be like, uh, <laughs> like I'd be on, like in the Corova milk bar or something. Nice. You know? So oh, that's yeah. my plan anyway in my head, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it off. You know, but McDowell just staring at you from the way back. That's right. <laughs> at the beginning of the audio episodes, I always put like a clip from a movie and some kind of song. It doesn't always add up to like whatever we're going to be talking about, but uh, that will be the same thing with the backdrops. People have to figure out what it is. It reminds me of the orchestra tuning up before, like so everyone has to get their seats uh, uh, at the old theaters. Yeah. By the way, the only reason why that's that is because Teal was pretty sure that he was going to get a guy that was going to create a theme song for us or a theme music, and, and, and he never... You we never did. And so I'm like, well, I'm like, if you ever get us the theme music, we'll just put the theme music on at the beginning. But uh, I never had that. So I'm like, all right, I'll just keep going with this. So yeah. so three years in almost. I've, I've kept you uh, engaged for a, a long time. So now I'm going to let you go. But uh, this has been super fun. And it's uh, a pleasure, man, all the time. Uh, every time. And of course, originally, I think when I first reached out to you, I think we were going to talk about Japanese noir and we never even got to do that. But, uh, uh, you know. Uh, next time, yeah, not on the next on the next show, because <laughs> th that's not going anywhere. That those Yakuza films have been they'll be around. Forever. That's right. And there's some you know <laughs> I I thank again Criterion for putting so many of them on. They're really really cool. Yeah. But I really do thank you, uh, Mr. Mike McQuilkin, for coming back on to do this show uh, because it's just fun actually to just hear different perspectives. Everything's a different kind of vibe when they have a different guest. And again, if I didn't have like you and I didn't have Bill, uh, we wouldn't have a show while Teal was moving. And so, you know, I, I, I really firmly believe that if you don't have a show for like six, seven weeks, people kind of are like, oh, they're, they're not doing it anymore. So they go away. So, you know, I like to try to have something for the people Content's good, but, you know, uh, good content's worth waiting for. And that's what I think. I think the people are like, whoa, 
I didn't know. I got, we got five weeks of film noir, and now we got this. This is awesome. Uh, it was and it was fun to talk about something else other than film noir after doing it for five <laughs> episodes in a row, even though there was some magic in just focusing on a genre like that. You kind of can see movies differently. So I'm looking for the, the bad box office bonanza movies like Six Underground and Hudson Hawk. Mm-hmm. can focus yeah. on those, and, and maybe I'll get something new on Hudson Hawk the next time I watch it. All right. But I, but see, but see, you threw out a challenge and you didn't even know it by putting it there. It's like, <laughs> and then I love that. I don't care what the movie is. I love challenges. Just by opening my damn mouth on Facebook, <laughs> I'm inviting so challenges. If you haven't seen oh, Hudson Hawk, get, get ready, people. If you're like, I got to check out this Hudson Hawk movie. You don't. But if you do, it's on HBO Max and you can see what the early 90s were about. Because I know some of you out there that listen to the show are youngsters and haven't caught up on your filmographies. So... Blame Mike if you don't like it. It's what your dad used to watch for big, stupid fun. And just look at the background stuff. It's like, oh, I, I used to have that towel. Hudson Hawk, they they they, got, they spent all the budget on Bruce Willis. And then who do they give you? Like, well, we're going to give you Danny Aiello. And we're going to give you Andy <laughs> McDowell. <laughs> these, are your, these are your other choices. He's a strong presence on the screen. Well, you know what the, the funny thing is? Though, and the reason why it's an R rating, probably. Danny Aiello. <laughs> the scenes with them together... Which I guess yeah. that's where it started. Like all the stuff about the songs and, and during the capers and stuff, that was stuff that kind of got written up because it was a little bit more straightforward, like, you know, caper movie before. Yes. The stuff between him and I.L., because they were friends. That's how he got cast in the movie. They were like friends when Bruce Willis wasn't really, uh, you know, was kind of kicking around struggling actor. They're actually a good combination together. Like mm-hmm. I, their scenes work. I think that carries through the whole thing. When they're, uh, when they're all numbed and they can't uh, move their arms or legs, that's a great... Yeah. That's a good slapsticky scene. Yeah. Not bad. I think the movie, if there's going to be a, if what others consider a jump the shark movie and what I would consider a, where's this going moment, uh, would be uh, as soon as he falls out of the, the ambulance on the gurney and drives through the high, the highway chase, right from that point on, yes. it's an, uh, totally another movie. I, I had the notes and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go there. But the Brooklyn Bridge scene, which I'm sure they thought <laughs> yes. was like, I, he's on the gurney and like somebody throws, like this woman throws a cigarette out of the window and it lands in his mouth. And then he's like, and then he's like, oh, menthol, throws it out. Like there's like, oh, it's a one liner to get. Before that, she goes, she pulls up to him, not to offer help. But she pulls up and goes, hey, are you going to die? <laughs> like, that's the line. It's not funny. And it's like, so they're like, okay, what else? Oh, wait a minute. He has to go through a toll booth. So he digs out a bunch of change yes. on the gurney yeah. and he goes, yeah. and he throws it. In the, and then he's like, right. yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. I think that was the filmmaker saying this change was the previous tone. And now we're cashing it in for whatever the hell tone the devil may care. I think that <laughs> Michael... Was it Lehman or Lemon? I don't know. I think it's Lehman. Lehman. Yeah. Uh, I feel he like did Heather's. He, I right? feel like he directed this movie the way that um, Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist. Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he was basically usurped, and the name stayed on there, but it was not his movie any more than it was Toby Hooper's movie in Poltergeist. All right. Well, look at uh, uh, now. I've, now I think I've got enough content for two episodes. So if you if you get two Mike McQuilkin <laughs> episodes, know that I had to cut it in half, um, and I'll just do my own little fake ending. I'll wear the same shirt and stuff. Uh, but anyways, this has been super fun because again, it's just it's just fun to get to 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 know somebody via. The internet waves. It's just, you know. Who has questionable movie tastes. Yes, no. it is no, very No, fun. no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just, no, no. It wasn't an indictment on you. That's, he, that's how go I feel go, about no, my movie tastes. 
That's <laughs> knock. The way I did. Oh. Hockey. <laughs> I am the. And it was great because he was coming off of uh, how to get ahead in advertising, which yeah. uh, was so great. And of course, then a few years before that, with Nail and I, and then like after nobody knew what to do with the guy. And he seems to be having a, a renaissance, uh, Richard E. Grant. Yeah, he just showed up in that uh, Loki, Loki series. Which and, uh, yeah. you saw the Loki, right? Yeah, we could talk for hours about the hours the TV about series. No, yeah, versus, I don't know. Versus, I mean, versus the, uh, I kind of liked the it, but then I also didn't like it because it cause falls into. All I don't hate any traps. of them. I mean, I know, right? But I, I like it's Owen sort Wilson. of like it's the same thing they do with the uh, the. I could have watched him and Owen Wilson sitting down and going back and forth for hours. And they, we had so precious little of that. Yeah. It's just kind of like, it was more of just like, there's a lot of walking around. It's just <laughs> a lot of like getting from one place to, to the next. And a lot of them saying, who do you think's behind this? I know. Like, th- I, well, that's the thing is it was, it started off like thinking it's like, oh, it's going to be the, like an Owen Wilson and him talking tete-a-tete every week and comment. it's going to be fun. Yeah. Then suddenly in this only precious like six episodes, the third episode is like, you know, it's almost like a bottle episode. And I'm like, oh, man, this is not turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. And the actress that they got for the alternate universe, Loki, is amazing. And she, but she's she's squandered here a little bit. Yeah. Because she's in one of my favorite series of all, uh, all times. It's uh, Flowers. Have you ever seen Flowers? No. It's a TV series. It's a, it's a, it's a, it was a BBC production, I believe, but a uh, young director. He's working on a lot of new stuff, too, too but it's, it's called Flowers. Okay. And uh, there's two series, but she plays the daughter of this dysfunctional family, and it's very dark and very funny, and it's absolutely worth it. It's only six episodes per, per series. Yeah, I had never seen her before until Loki. And, and she grew on me. By the end of the series, I kind of liked her a little bit more, but it was just, I don't know. It was just, again... It's a, it was a Marvel. It was like again, we're in the pandemic, and anything anything new that I can watch, yeah. I, I, that I'm interested in, is great. Uh, so I'm liking that I've got you know shows. I like my Ted Lasso. I just started watching that. Yeah, Ted Lasso is great. Makes me feel good. And then uh, Reservation Dogs is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, Taika Waititi produces that. He does, and it's it's such a smart show. I don't yeah, know, I saw you post about that. I'll have to check really, that out. Really, really fun. Um, and you know what? My my oldest son, we're discovering. You know, he, he's got very specific tastes. Sometimes he just doesn't. You know, he likes to be on his like little phone up in his room. He doesn't really want to watch shows with mom and dad. Mm. We got him to watch it. We actually started watching the first five minutes, and we said, you know what? I think our uh, our kid's gonna like this. And he came down, and he thinks it's hilarious. Oh, that's great. It's it's a all indigenous cast too, right? It I is think a and cast and production. It's so great that we're getting to see comedy from a different side of things that we don't really, you yeah. know, these are people that have not been represented, and certainly not in a sitcom or in this kind of style. And it just it's a really fun show. And I think it's just so well written. Yeah. So check it out. People should be hungry for a different perspective. Because we I am we, you know I'm a hungry you know, guy. I'm I'm hungry for that. <laughs> I'll have seconds. Thank you. Yes, please. Mmm, tasty. Uh, well, this this episode's been tasty. It's it's going to take me maybe I don't know when this is going to come out because it's going to take me forever to cut it because uh, it's just so long and video takes a while. It's like Return of the King with all these endings. Oh, <laughs> it's weird. This is the Return <laughs> of the King episode. Return of the King, Mike McWilkin. <laughs> All right, so we've given you guys uh, and gals and everyone else uh, out there a lot to snack on. So go find these movies uh, and uh, watch them. And uh, hopefully we'll be back soon uh, with more episodes. If it looks like it's going to be a while before Teal, I'm I'm very tempted to cut this into two episodes so you get all the content that you crave, but more episodes. Content. (laughs) 
It's all about Hashtag content. content. Yeah. Sometimes you just need content. It's like my own <laughs> bottle episodes. I just, I'm like, well, I need to make two episodes to stretch this out. You got to eat. Yeah. People need to eat. And you've been so generous. I mean, I'm like, I don't, I don't like to hold my guests too long, but you're like, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I turn the fan off. I'm sweating like a beast up here in the attic. It's very hot. Yeah. If there is a ready readiness going on that's because of the heat <laughs> up here alright people look at uh, stuffweseen.com that's the place where you can get all the episodes uh, feedback at stuffweseen.com uh, if you want to reach out and tell us anything and then of course we're on Instagram and all that so uh, you know tell your friends tell your family and go see some stuff goodbye everybody bye Mike say goodbye <laughs> That there, was he is. Oh. there he is. Oh, I have to say goodbye. goodbye. There you go. Yeah, well, you don't have to, but it's 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 respectful. I retract my goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. All right. All right. Hudson Hawk fan over there. <laughs> Michael Cook. Oh. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. You could be swinging on a star.